Okay, if something happens while we're reading scripture, don't worry about it, because we discovered that um, this morning when I was reading scripture that um, there may be a new version of the Bible that snuck into our pro presenter program. So if my words and the screen don't match, we know about it. And if they do match, then we fixed it. Our lesson comes from the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, starting in the 19th verse. Hear these words. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us approach with true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So it was the middle of the 1950s. My grandfather, the policeman, was on a bowling team. Bowling team. You saw them. They were in all the, the Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley shows about the 1950s that people would gather on Tuesday and Thursday. They would wear the same outfits and they, as members of a fraternity or an organization or a company, would all bowl together. So Pop was bowling. And on this particular night in the middle of the 1950s, Pop bowled 300. Perfect game. And my grandfather's response, he never touched a bowling ball again. He said, I've achieved perfection. The rest would be frustration. I'm not going to bowl. But he would go to the bowling team outings and encourage the other members of the team and hang out with them. You just didn't mess with Tuesday and Thursday on, in the 1950s when you were planning church activities because that's when the bowling leagues happened. Both men and women they were highly competitive, they were highly connectional, they were highly community building, bowling teams. We can't even imagine a bowling team. Robert Putnam has written a book entitled Bowling Alone, Bowling Alone. Putnam takes the demographics of people who were bowling in the 1950s and through the uh, Professional Bowlers Association and some other associations, he estimated approximately how many people in the United States were bowling in the 1950s. And he did a longitudinal study and he looked at bowling in the early part of the 21st century and he found out something rather interesting. The same number of people who were bowling in the 1950s are still bowling today, but they're bowling alone. They don't bowl on teams. They don't practice this camaraderie that happened on Tuesday and Thursday night. They go during their lunch hour or they'll go right after work, but they bowl alone. Sounds like our culture, does it not? 
There are people right now who are participating in the worship service of Trinity Methodist Church. They're sitting at a computer screen and they're watching and listening to this service alone. And what we have the capability of doing through digital means and through all the technology that surrounds us is we can make connection with people. We can keep connection with people. And these connections are authentic and they are helpful and they are life-giving. But what we can't do and what we haven't figured out to do is how to build community. Oh, I know people talk about digital communities. But I wonder sometimes in the context of the church, in the context of our faith, if something more might be required before we build community. And I think the writer of Hebrews might disagree with some of the things that we think is true about building community because in the 10th chapter, in the middle section of it, that's what he's talking about. How do we build build up and maintain our community. And he does it almost liturgically with this phrase, let us. Let us approach with a true heart. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let us consider how to provoke one another. Provoking one another. There you go. That's what the church needs to do. We need some provocation going on. But I think as we look at this, we see what the writer of Hebrews is doing is giving us a key or a clue as to how we live in community today. And I just want to touch all three of them quickly. Let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of the faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That sounds like somebody coming to faith in Christ. That sounds like the process that Michael has introduced us to about prevenient grace and justifying grace and sanctifying grace. That you start with this process of letting Christ into your heart and this process leads to a point where you eventually achieve full assurance. You eventually achieve a heart sprinkled clean. And this body's washed with pure water that appears to be a reference to baptism. We come in building community, first of all, being Christian. Seems funny I should have to say that. Being Christian. It takes a disciple of Jesus Christ to make a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, as you go, as you live your life, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And look, look, I'm with you to the end of the age. A study in California recently tracked 14,000 people who had come to faith in Christ and they found out the people that had come to faith in Christ, less than 10% came to faith because a preacher did something. Had an evangelistic service, preached a good sermon, made a phone call. More than 90% of the people who came to faith in Christ came to faith in Christ because of something a member of the church did went and drank a cup of coffee, had prayer with, showed up at a hard part in their life. Disciples make disciples. 
Disciples know the Christ and disciples can speak about their knowledge of Christ in a firsthand way. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, let's start with the basics. Let's start with that fundamental relationship with Jesus Christ and let's move out and move about based on that. And it's that, it's that which transforms lives. And then he said, and let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. That's a reference to Christ himself. It's about being a Christian. It's about doing the things and participating in the things and growing in grace, but it's also about this primary relationship we have with Christ. And Paul said this to the church at Ephesus, therefore I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all, through all, and in all. And then Paul in another place said, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, we're all one in Christ. So this in Christ holds us together. This in Christ creates an energy and a unity that allows us to talk to others about our relationship with him allows, other, allows us to be disciples and witnesses for Christ. You know, I was thinking about that this week, of this dichotomy we created in the church. You've heard about it. You've heard me say it and Michael say it and other ministers say it. We are the clergy. And you are the laity. And the laity do this, and the clergy do this. And I'm still trying to find that in the New Testament. I don't think I found it. But what I would like to do is say we need to get rid of that language as we move forward. And we need to understand that we are all servants of God. And if you would like to be elevated, then we're all ministers of God. And I, I think I'll change the bulletin where it says ministers, rather than putting my name and Michael's name or Mickey's name, I'll just put the congregation, that you're all ministers. You're all just as capable, just as gifted, just as called as I am. So we need to start with being Christian. And that Christian part naturally leads us to, well, Christ. And then the writer of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Provoke one another to love and to good deeds. Paul again says to the Colossians, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you may also forgive. Above all, clothe yourself with love, 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or, do, word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving glory to God the Father. That provoking one another creates that community. And that's where we've gotten to, community. This is why we've done these three sermons and three Sunday school lessons so we could get to this one where we talk about community, the community we want to create, the community that is the at the very core of Methodist DNA, the, the bands and the small, the house fellowships and other groups like that. A band is nothing but three, perhaps four people who come together on a regular basis to pray, to hold each other accountable, to, to lift each other up, to nurture each other, to, to study the scriptures together. House fellowships, a few more people doing the exact same thing, holding each other accountable, searching the scriptures, encouraging each other in the walk of discipleship. And one of the ways we're going to renew our church and one of the ways we're going to reclaim our Methodist and Wesleyan heritage is be more involved and more intentional in forming these bands and house fellowships. And in August or September, we're still trying to set the date, we're going to have a workshop where we will you will invite you to that workshop and we're going to give you so much information, it's like we're hosing you down with a fire hydrant hose. It's going to be more than you can understand and comprehend or deal with. And then how do you go out and, so, how do you go out and form these bands or house fellowships? Yes. We're not going to tell you how to do it. We're not going to do it for you. We're going to hope that you catch what this can be and how transformative this can be. We're going to point to some things that are already going on here that are succeeding so you can talk to some people who've been involved in this and see what patterns emerge. It's a way of moving from connection to community. It's a way of being the church that transforms lives. How will we know if we've succeeded? Because to do this, it's going to take a while to get there. It's not going to happen overnight. How will we know? One way, I think, we'll hear laughter. Laughter. We can't have laughter. We'll hear laughter. Jesus said what? 
There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need more no repentance. Jesus said in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you who weep for you will laugh. What are we laughing about? We're laughing about people who've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're laughing, laughing with people who've had their lives turned around. See, we will know we, will, we have succeeded not by our orthodoxy, our orthopraxy, not by our apologetics, not by our pure biblical interpretation of Scripture. We will know we have succeeded when people come to the church and they're laughing. Why? Because they've been saved. They've seen other people saved. They've seen broken lives healed. They've seen people meet Jesus. They criticized Jesus. The Pharisees and the Sadducees for eating with sinners. You know who has the best sense of humor in the cosmos? Jesus. Do you know who tells the best jokes in the cosmos? Jesus. You know who can make you laugh? Jesus. And these sinners were coming to Jesus and they were laughing with him and they were praying with him and they were eating with him and they were drinking with him. And their lives were changed. So much so that he tells a story about the man who goes into the foreign country and he spends all of daddy's money. And there's a famine in the land. And he begins to be in want. This good Jewish boy attaches himself to a pig farmer, which a good Jewish boy should never do that. And the pig farmer, who had a weird sense of humor, sent the good Jewish boy out to slop the hogs, and he never should have been doing that. And the little boy is about to put his face in the pig slop, and the Bible says he came to himself. And he thought, why am I doing what I'm about to do? I'm going home. And he goes home and his father sees him afar off and he runs to meet his son and he hugs his son and he helps his son run the gauntlet of the angry townspeople who are upset with the boy because the boy, to get money, sold daddy's property to a Gentile. And the daddy gets the boy home and puts the robe and the ring back on him. And they throw a party. And the party is so loud and so joyous that the older brother hears it. And the older brother represents folks who just don't get it, who don't understand that when you've been set free from your sins, when you've had your brokenness healed, when you've had your life put back on track, there is but one response, laughter. How will we know we've succeeded? Trinity's hallways will be filled with laughter and joy and with people coming to meet Jesus. And it will be filled with lives being transformed and stories of that happening. We'll know. We'll know when Jesus shows up at Trinity. Joy, 
and laughter. We'll know that we've created that kind of authentic, holy, life-giving community. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.